Whether you're starting a game or starting your day, you need to pick a starting lineup and you're going to want the starter from Jack Black. Loaded with the superior skincare the pros love, Kings fans can get the starter for just $10, shipping included. Available exclusively at GetJackBlack.com with the code TEAMJB, the starter has four of Jack Black's best-selling skincare and shave products, plus a full-sized intense therapy lip balm, SPF 25. Here's to the winning combination for 2023, the LA Kings and the starter from Jack Black. $10 plus free shipping, available at GetJackBlack.com with the code TEAMJB, while supplies last. You're listening to an L.A. Kings podcast. For more episodes of this and every other Kings program, visit lakings.com slash podcast. Robinson curls to the high slot. Deneau across the seat. Anderson shot. Score! You're listening to All the Kings Men, the official podcast of the L.A. Kings. Kings win the faceoff. Dowdy walks down the wall. Snaps one. And scores! Now, here's your host, Jesse Cohen. Continuing our player evaluation series, joining me again, Daryl Evans. How are you doing today, Daryl? Top of the day, Jess. I'm wonderful on yourself. Doing good, thank you. Before we hop into Mikey Anderson and Drew Doughty, uh, we probably could have had this conversation the first time we did one of these about the defense, but when we're talking about players who play further down the lineup, I find it less interesting and more difficult to compare them to counterparts on other teams because I don't watch the 31 other teams closely enough to know what their third pair or second pair guys do. But when you get to the top players, whether it's forwards, defensemen, goalies, because they're the ones who get the most attention, they're on the highlight reels, I find that as much as maybe I don't want to, as much as maybe I understand it's not fair, I compare them to their counterparts when I'm thinking about how, you know, how good they are. You know, you say, well, how, you know, is Quentin Byfield a top line forward? And and I could sit there and tell you all the great things that Quentin Byfield does, but then someone will run up and say, yeah, well, he only had however many goals, and if you want to be a top line forward, you got to have X, so X, so whatever. So when it comes to Mikey Anderson and Drew Doughty, I find myself comparing them to other top pairs, whereas Gavrikov and Roy, Walker, Jersey, Edler, whatever, I'm just looking at numbers, I'm just looking at how they played, and I'm coming up with that. So before we dive into Anderson and Roy, or excuse me, Anderson and Doughty, um, from your you know perspective and from and when you're doing your job during the regular season and you're looking at the players, when you're looking at defensemen, any defenseman, no matter where they play in the lineup, what's the primary thing you look at when you try to decide if they're doing a good job or not? Well, I think as a defenseman, again. Being the type of defender you are, whether you're an offensive defenseman uh, or a defender, uh, I think you've got to take that into into, into account. Uh, I think when you look at a guy like Eric Carlson, for instance, in San Jose, I think you're looking more at what he's doing offensively. Is he producing the numbers there? You're not as concerned about as much as what he does defensively. Um, but I think a rounded defenseman, and when you're talking a Norris, can, Norris Trophy candidate, I think you need the complete package. So I look for a guy that can defend in his own zone, uh, a guy that you can use in every critical situation. He's on your top pair penalty kill. He's on your top pair power play. And if you've got one of those few guys that are in the league, then you've got some gold. And uh, so that's where I kind of rank my defender, the guy that you can play in every situation. He should be your ice time leader and able to play against anybody in the league. So the reason that that came up in my mind is I – 
have all sorts of thoughts about possession metrics and analytics and the state of the conversation. But a lot of the time I reach out to people that I consider that know more than I do, or at least spend more time thinking about it than I do. And earlier this season, I was, I think it was Kent Wilson and uh, ran it by a couple other people. And I said, listen, when it comes to, to defense, like I just need one catch all simple stat that tells me, is this guy any good? <laughs> you know, and we talked it out and I said, okay. So it sounds to me like what you're saying is Corsi against per 60 is the, if you just want to, you know, quick glance, who's good, who's not. And the, the ultimate result was, yeah, that's about it. And then, of course, you have to correct for how many, you know, games or minutes the person played because yep. you've got Jacob Uvarari who played whatever, a handful of yep. games. And then you've got Drew Doughty who's second in the league in, you know, yep. minutes played at even strength. That's the other thing you got to control for strength and all that. Anyway, that's a long way of saying that Mikey Anderson uh, – well, let me run down his stats from last year first before I get into this year. Played 20 minutes – and seven seconds last year, time on ice. This year, 21-40. Only played 57 games last year, tons of injury last year. Uh, 77 games this year, you know, little stretch out of the lineup, but most of the season. Eight points last year, 20 points this year, five goals, 15 assists. Before I get into what I was about to say, at the start of this season, where were we on Mikey Anderson? He's a lot younger than I had I mean, I knew he was young, but, you know, I was looking at his career numbers last year, and I was like, geez, this was really his third full year. So where were we coming into this year on Mikey Anderson? Well, I think with Mikey Anderson, you know, on entering the season, I think everybody was comfortable because of the way that he played with Drew Doughty. Uh, he was a good fit for Drew. Drew trusted him. Uh, Drew liked playing with him. So I think that, uh, you know, that allowed that marriage to stay together right at the beginning. I think now as we look at, as the year went on, we saw Mikey Anderson's game evolve, uh, not only statistically, but from a trust standpoint, uh, from not only his partner and Drew Doughty, but from the coaching staff. You know, the elevated ice time, minute and 40 seconds doesn't seem like a lot, but it's a lot when you're playing that much in a game. And considering Drew Doughty's playing against the top players in the opposition, so does Mikey Anderson. So uh, his game has evolved. Uh, the offensive flair to his game, I think he's a lot more comfortable. He's uh, been working on his shot and you know getting involved in more in the attack, jumping up the ice, getting involved in the cycle in the offensive zone. But defensively, he continues to do what drew him the attention and the, the trust to be able to play with a guy like Drew Doughty. So um, his game is coming along nicely. I still don't think we've seen the ceiling on his offense. I still think there's a little bit more there. Something he can continue to keep working on is his shot and that and getting involved in the rush. Uh, he's never going to be a big point guy where he's going to put up 50, 60 points. I don't think. I don't see that in his game. And if he does, so be it. That's great. But he's going to be a, a guy that you can play for a lot of years against the opposition's top players. And I think eventually, as Drew Doughty moves on you know, uh, in, in his career and you know, eventually retires, I think Mikey Anderson's the type of guy that with the likes of guys like Clark and Spence coming up, He's an ideal partner, being a left-handed shot. He's going to have had, had the you know a few hundred games of experience. He'll be able to play with those guys and kind of be the Drew Doughty for them uh, that uh, Drew was for himself. So he turns 24 tomorrow. We're recording this on the 24th. His birthday is May 25th. So he's not young, young, but he's definitely got 
way more track ahead of him than he does behind, right? As I yep. said, only his third season uh, just being completed. But so I was tinkering, tinkering around and I've been aware of this all season long. So I set uh, my little stat table to look for Corsi against per 60. And again, for anybody who is not aware of what that means, it just means for every 60 minutes he's played at even strength, how many shot attempts against him are there per those 60 minutes? And I set the minutes played at 1,180 minutes, which may sound arbitrary, but it gives me 99 players <laughs> to rank. I thought that was a decent number to just just for context of like where does he sort in this list. And the top six are all from Calgary and Carolina, which suggests, okay, there's something about, to me anyway, there's something about that system, those teams, you know, they they excel at that, right? When you've got... Burns, Slavin, Shea, and Pesci, all from Carolina, ranked second through fifth. And then Zadorov and Uyghur, first and sixth. You go, okay, it's fine. Um, Mikey Anderson is ninth out of 99. Um, and there's only 11 guys who are under 50 Corsi against per 60. And out of context, I don't know what those number means. But I can understand nine out of 99. Ninth out of 99. And goals against per 60, which is not theoretical, but is what actually happened. He's 11th. Again, behind Mackenzie Weger from Calgary and Brent Burns uh, from Carolina and a couple guys from Boston. So, I mean, he actually is. Well, let me phrase it this way. Is he that elite defensively or is a lot of it coming from playing with Drew Doughty? I think it's a combination of both. But I think because he plays with Drew Doughty, a lot of his individual play actually gets overlooked Mm -hmm. or understated. Um He's a lot better than I think a lot of people think. I uh, think they think that, you know, uh, he might be just riding the coattails of, of Drew Doughty, but I don't think that's the case because if you look at when he's on the ice in situations now, he's actually helping Drew out and pull him along into situations where Drew did that for him when he first started out. And that's not saying that Drew's game is tailed off, but it's a little bit of a different style of hockey. He's a different generation coming in from where Drew came into the league. So I think it's a real great chemistry that they have between them. But I think those numbers, uh, you know, again, statistically, tell you a little bit more on how effective he is and the respect that he has from you know from the people around the league that are watching the games and his peers, uh, you know he's he's, he's uh, regarded as a, a top end defenseman, and because of that, you know he plays the minutes that he does each and every night. Now, if he was playing half those minutes, it'd be a different story. But he's playing big minutes against big players every night, and you see very very little fall off in his game. To that point, um, I found this website. I don't know how they decide it, but it ranks uh, your stats against. Elite competition, average competition, and, you know, bottom of the barrel. And Mikey Anderson is 13th among defensemen in even strength time on ice against elite competition. Drew Doughty is fourth. Um, And his numbers in those minutes are respectable. I mean, he is – he's. I guess what I'm trying to get at is he's very good. And to your point, I think he is incredibly underrated. (laughs) Because he he doesn't put up Yeah, he's a keeper. And that's the big reason. He doesn't put up the big numbers. Um, you know, like the you know guys like Cal McCarr, you know Eric Carlson. Even though Eric Carlson, you know, a little bit on the older side, uh, in with regards to you know the young guys coming in today, 
Um, those numbers, I think, uh, you know, they'll start to come as we saw this year. We saw a big growth in his numbers, uh, a lot more confidence in his game, and a little bit different in the system as well. I think where the team is at um, is you know, probably a little bit of an indicator as to where his numbers are at as well. I think, you know, with the Kings, the way that they grew as a team, I think Mikey Anderson, he was one of the guys that was able to kind of flourish because of that. Uh, you know, he was he was allowed, I don't want to say allowed, but he became more involved in a lot of the things, uh, you know, a lot of the plays, like I say, getting involved in the cycle in the offensive zone. You know, in the past, I think he was learn, earning the trust of the coaching staff, and he was still learning the league. I think he's got a good feel now for the opposition that he plays against, especially the teams that are either in his own division or in the West Conference that you see more frequently. Uh, he's learning players' tendencies, and when he can and cannot go, he's got a real good feel for the game. He's got a great, you know, hockey IQ. He's, he's a smart player in so many regards. You know, right from day one, he's been regarded as a guy that would wear a letter for the Kings one day. Uh, he was rewarded with the long contract, and I think that was uh, a, a great uh, decision by the you know the organization be able to lock him up in the way that they did. I think the contract's a very favorable one, and I think uh, you know when it comes to the at the end of the uh, the term of that contract, Kings are going to sit them say to themselves they got themselves one hell of a bargain because Mikey Anderson is a, is the real deal, and he's gonna, he's such a consistent player that he's going to be around for a while. So I want to talk about the letter issue because there was a story that came out. I think it was during COVID. I think it was after he was drafted, but before he had played, you know, serious time for the Kings, maybe at a year under his belt or something. And there was a lot of footage of like, oh, what are, you know, who are the players when they go home and they can't play? And he and his brother had this game, and we put a video up on it on some social channel somewhere. But he and his brother back in Minnesota, one would go into the backyard of their house that they grew up in. One would stand in the front yard. And I guess they play this game all the time. And they would throw water balloons over the house. And if it and if you caught it and it splashed on you, you lose. That's that's the game. Can you catch the water ball water balloon that your brother hucked over the house <laughs> and you know, catch it so that it doesn't break? And the whole point of the video was that these two guys who were at that point in their early twenties took this game so seriously and were so competitive about it. And it's a made-up game that brothers, you know, play in, in in the summer or whatever. But just the fact that he was, you know, they were joking about it, but you could tell that it was competitive and it did matter to them. How much of that do you see that, that I don't want to say weird, but that <laughs> omnipresent competitiveness in Mikey Anderson? Yeah, it's, you know, a lot of guys will show compete in a lot of different ways. Uh, real aggressive on the ice, uh, maybe over-aggressive, go out and take unnecessary penalties and things like that. Um, but compete is, in, you know, when I see somebody can really compete is when you get into those battles that it doesn't look like there's a big, huge, you know, war going on. It's those little battles, just, you know, body position, be able to, you know, kind of take a hit, get your body in the right spot, you know, knowing that you're going to get hit to be able to make a play, absorb the check, make a play, hold on to the puck, uh, buy time for, a, you know, a, a teammate to be able to get involved. And then the, the verbal standpoint, uh, you know, he's, he's confident enough and vocal enough, even at a young age and with not a lot of games under his belt, to be able to address his peers some of it has to do with there's a lot of young guys coming up in the Kings organization, in particular on defense. Guys like, again, Clark and Spence, uh, Moverari that you mentioned. You know, even Sean Dursey's a young player as well. That, you know, when you see a guy go out and play effectively like Mikey Anderson does, 
they get your attention. So now when they say something, you get their attention again. And he's got that ability. It's it's not, it's, you know, everybody doesn't have that. It, it, I consider it as a gift. Um, and I think, you know, you mentioned like at the beginning, you know, we, we've talked about it and people said that, you know, he might one day wear a letter for the Kings, but I don't know if that would be as, as uh, have the impact unless he was able to play and kind of walk the walk, so to speak, on the ice. And he's able to walk the walk on the ice because he goes out there and plays the minutes that he does, plays alongside Drew Doughty and plays against the opposition's top players in all the critical situations. So he's a go-to guy from the coaches. If the coaches generally show trust and faith in a player, usually you, you know your teammates will do that unless you're you know the type of player there but he just hates and he's definitely not that type of guy he you know he's he's admired respected by not only his teammates but by his peers and uh, those are the type of guys that you want to you know to, to lead the charge for you before we move on to Dowdy and Anderson as a pair I do want to talk about that notion of him being respected by his peers and, and everything when when he started that at the end of that covid year which was his first quote unquote full season there was a lot of talk, particularly from Drew Doughty, about you know his role and how he filled it. And there was conversation about him becoming more vocal. And every year he got more and more vocal in the room, on the ice. Doughty talked about how he talks on the ice. He points things. You know, Doughty was saying, I'm mentoring him. He's mentoring me. It's a true partnership. Yep. This season, and and I am far from an expert on this, but this season in the locker room, I got the sense that he was a lot more comfortable just being himself and who he is started to come out more. Like when we would talk to him on morning skates or practice days, he's sitting there, he's joking, he's laughing, he's calling across the room to guys more than I saw in previous seasons. You know, when asked a question, he's maybe taking a friendly shot at, you know, saying, you know, yeah, well, I would have done this, but then Dowdy would have yelled at me and told me I stay, you know, stuff like that. Just, he just seems to be more comfortable this year in his own skin. Yeah, I think as a young player coming in, and, and again, we're still a young player and will be for a number of years, but I think when he first came in, I think the maturity really showed in him both on and off the ice and the respect that he had, uh, a little bit like the old school players, you know, 30, 40 years ago, you, you know, when you got to the NHL level, you went in, even though you, you know, you're you're doing the same uh, job. You know you're on the same team, and everybody's pulling on the rope. Uh, you know, for, looking for a victory. You 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 respect the guys that have been there, have done that, so to speak. And in some cases, you might even be a better player than some of those other guys. But you respect what they've done and what they've gone through. And that's maybe what you see a little bit of Mikey in his first you know first year or so. But because of the way he conducted himself, uh, you know, not trying to be a know-it-all or say it all out there and make kind of maybe overkill the situation. He was real smart in it. He was a big sponge. He absorbed everything that was going on in that locker room. Some great mentors to be around. One, his partner in Drew Doughty. Jonathan Quick between the pipes. What a goaltender to be able to learn from how to communicate with a defenseman in your in your own zone. Andre Kopitar, Dustin Brown, the veterans that he was around uh, did a great job at, at, at uh, you know, at kind of, you know, just a mentorship type of thing. And he, he just took it all in. And, you know, now as time starts to evolve a little bit, then I see the difference as well. You know, you talk to him in a conversation, he's more confident 
speaking about others and as the group because now he's got a pulse and a feel about it. I think sometimes if a player comes in, you know, in the first year and you start asking them questions about the team and that, and they start rattling stuff off, well, you know, they're kind of speaking off the cuff a little bit because they really don't know. They haven't been around those guys. Like, how well did he know Andre Kopitar after six months of playing with him? Yeah, you can sit there and say you've learned a lot because you spent a lot of time with each other. But now that they've been through, you know, through the battles with them and, you know, faced adversity, you know, won some of those battles, lost some of those battles, uh, now he's, you know, he's, he's one of the group now. And not only one of the group, but because of the characteristics and traits that, and qualities that he already had coming in, those start to evolve, and uh, I think you're only going to continue to keep seeing more and more of it. And he's one of those guys again in the locker room. First of all, you've got to gain the the you know the like of your peers uh, and the respect of them and the trust of them. And you know they trust he's going to say the right things in the right situations, and uh, he's going to call guys out when you know when he can when he uh, has the opportunity, and will be looked upon to do that. And there's no doubt that with the contract that he got that I think he felt a lot more secure that, hey, the organization plans on me being here for a while. They're looking for me to, you know, to do my job. Well, I do my job best by doing this, and those are some of the gifts that he has, and that's that leadership ability. Two things, and then we are going to tra- transition over You said to that three times. I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> that's, you say so much good stuff. One is I've never heard the phrase, I say it all. And that's brilliant. I love that. I'm stealing that. I'm going to use it all the time. Say it all, know it all. Yeah, no, but it's such a different thing. And it's, there are know-it-alls and then there are, I've never heard the phrase say it all before, but I love that. I'm 100% stealing that. The second thing is the contract. Um, Last season when, last off season, when he signed the one year, $1 million contract, I theorized and the organization has denied it and the player has denied it, but I am me. So I will not, I believe what I believe. I believe that there was, even if it wasn't explicitly stated, there was an understanding between the organization and the player that at that moment in time, there simply wasn't any money to sign him to a contract and that a one-year, $1 million would have helped both parties out because it would have allowed for the opportunity just a tiny bit in the future to sign a real contract. <laughs> and then they didn't even wait till this offseason. They signed it in whatever it was, January or something, as soon as they could, essentially. An eight-year, um, you know, whatever, I don't, 4.125, yep. whatever. So regardless of whether or not that was agreed upon by both parties, you know, and unspoken, or whether or not both parties just understood in their own private negotiations that this would allow for that, it worked out exactly the way I sort of thought it would, which was, Tiny bridge contract, and then as soon as a little bit of cap space opened up, let's give him what he deserves. Which leads me to your being a say it all, Jay. Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> I, am. I am. No, you know what? And you know, regardless of whatever was going on in behind the scenes, and, and again, we'll never know all that because we, mm-hmm. you know, we're not privy to that kind of stuff. But I think again, it's just the trust that the organization, the relationship that Mikey Anderson and the organization, Rob Blake, Luke Robitaille, upper management, uh, the coaching staff. They developed a really good relationship and a trusting relationship, and it worked out for both parties. So let's move on to uh, Dowdy and Anderson as a pair. Um, I talked about, you know, Corsi against per 60. Now I'm going to get into time on ice because when I'm looking for this Corsi against per 60 for pairs, because you can search it for pairs, I discovered, oh, well, there's some guys that play, for example, Dowdy and Anderson, 1,300 minutes together as a pair. And then there are guys like Ethan Bear and Quentin Hughes who play 364 minutes together as a pair. And Quentin Hughes and Ethan Bear 
have a better Corsi against per 60 than Drew Doughty and Mikey Anderson. Not significantly better, but better. But they played literally a thousand fewer minutes than them as a pair. So one of the things that I would always leap to Drew Doughty's defense years ago when there was conversations about who's the best or whatever. And I would always say, listen, on Team Canada, which is the best collection of players in the world when they play in the Olympics, the coach of Team Canada plays Drew Doughty more minutes than anybody else. So on the best team... He's been he's being trusted with the most minutes. Yeah. I I don't need anything else. Nope. But that assumes that every coach in the league makes the right decisions, which is not always true. It assumes that there's health, which is not always true. So when we're looking at minutes played for pairs, how important is it if we're trying again, if we're trying to compare one pair to the other, even though I know maybe we shouldn't? Well, I think when it you know, when it comes to, you know, a pair being together, you know, You'll see guys five on five. Um, you know, maybe they're not together on a penalty kill. And, you know, Mikey Anderson, let's face it, he's not allowed on a power play, so they're not together on the power play a lot. But I think when a, when a pair of players plays that long together through the course of a season or that much together through the course of a season, it just goes to show you the consistency that they play with. You know, because coaches, you know, let's face it, every, every player – uh, every team has its ups and downs and things like that, and coaches will kind of rattle the cages a little bit, change lines, line combinations. You know, they might even mess with the pairings, but when you've got something that really works, you, you know, you don't play with it. And that pair really works. Not only works today, but it works in the future moving forward as well. So you want to keep them and you want to let them go through these battles. So I think, you know, their 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 success sometimes will get – uh, maybe scrutinized a little bit just because of the amount of time that they do play together. And if it's a you know a, a game that's not going well for the Kings, the coaching staff doesn't take them apart and or pull them out of the situation. They continue to keep playing. So they're going out there and they're taking the lumps as the team does. And uh, I, I respect them for that. So uh, they're they're a great pair, and I think they're only going to continue to keep getting better. Uh, I think you might see a little bit of the responsibilities kind of shift from one to the other. Uh, Drew Doughty will continue to keep using the, the great hockey mind that he has, his ability to be in the right spot at the right time, but his ability to be in the right spot in the right time for his partner, which will make Mikey Anderson a better player and more effective player. You know, before I think um, it, when they you know when they first were put together, I think when the puck you know was you know in their zone and coming out. It was going to be Drew Doughty was going to be the one that was eventually going to get the puck up to the forwards. Well, Mikey Anderson's capable of doing that now because of you know the trust that you know the team has in him getting into the right spot and know that they don't have to just to defer to Drew Doughty. And Drew puts him in a great position. He's got the ability to be able to draw guys towards him, puts Mikey in a good spot, and then Mikey's capable of making a play. And with you know, knowing that he's going to be in those spots, that's encouraged Mikey to work on those little elements of his game to open up, be able to pass from here, be able to, you know, throw the pass on the backhand, you know, play on the right side a little bit in case they get switched up on the ice. So uh, his game continues to keep growing because of what Drew Doughty provides with the security as being a security blanket on the other side or just being on the ice with him. Uh, that pairing will continue to keep growing. So this season of the 10 pairs that played – the most together, uh, Drew Doughty and Mikey Anderson are sorry, of the hundred pairs, I should say. Drew Doughty and Mikey Anderson are ninth in Corsi against per sixty. Of the top ten, only two pairs have over a thousand minutes, like Doughty and Anderson do together. The rest are four hundred, three hundred, 
uh, Tanev and Mackenzie Weger have 590. But it's, again, Brady Shea and Brett Pesci in Carolina and uh, Brett Burns and Jacob Slavin in, in, in Carolina. Like, it's – Carolina's just really, really good, yeah. as it turns out. No, they're a good team, and they're a puck possession team. Yeah. And I think we saw that part of the game evolve with the Kings and their defense – I mean, the contribution from the Kings blue line this past year was much greater than it was the year before, and then the year before that. Uh, trust, I think when you look at Carolina, you mentioned two pairings that are on that group. Well, they're a little further ahead on the curve of, you know, or even on the brink of winning a cup. Uh, you know, they've got players that have been in place together for a while, be it Brett Burns, a new player, but he's a veteran, experienced player. He goes to a team, and it was, you know, a, a good fit for him. But they're a puck possession type of team, and the Kings are becoming more of that. You look at the skill set that the Kings have added up front in the last few years, guys like Deneau, Arvidsson, and in this past year, Kevin Fiala, the emergence of Gabe Velarde, Adrian Kempe continues to keep growing. So the Kings as a group are hanging to the, onto the puck more. They're more in an attack mode. They're scoring more goals, and that's going to help their defense grow as well. So uh, th- that you'll continue to keep seeing because the next phase of, you know, the next uh, you know, generation of Kings coming – are those type of players. It's you know it's more of that running, I don't want to say run and gun style, but more of an attack type of mode. There's going to be more time that they're going to have the puck and the stick where you know earlier Kings were more just chipping the puck in, get it behind the other team's defense. Now they're going to attack them from the front side and they're going to go, go, go. So with that being invo- being said, the defense are going to get involved in the attack and create outnumbered attacks and get involved in, in the cycle in the offensive zone. And those numbers will continue to improve for both Dowdy and Mikey Anderson. Does it matter at all if the Kings, if let's say the Kings bring back Gavrikov and you go into next season with Anderson, Dowdy, Gavrikov, and Roy, and now you have two pairs that each, maybe they're not mirror images of each other, but they're each strong in what they do. Does having that strength, I mean, we talk all the time about, sorry, I'm interrupting myself, <laughs> talk about all the time about how putting Fiala on the third line helps the top two lines because it spreads the opposition's defense out. Now coaches have to decide who to match against. If you do match against the top two lines, you've got a third line with like Fiala and Velarde on it. Does it, does, is there a same knockdown effect when you have two defensive pairs that are equally effective at defending? Now the opposition can't load up against one pair. It definitely makes it more difficult. Uh, and that's something that the Kings know that if, again, if that's the case, if Gavrikov gets uh, locked up, they know they have those two, um, those two pairings going into next season. But also, it gives them more flexibility and more options because you already know that that works. And that's the same thing with, and with regards to like Fiala up front. With his ability and his skill set, what he brings to the Kings as a team, uh, being able to spread that out throughout the lineup, without having to take anything away from up top uh, made the Kings a lot more effective offensively. And you look at what they did on the power play, how much he complimented the power play. Well, I would expect that, you know, again, Gavrikov, if, if that's the case and he, he, you know, he's retained and he's able to play a full season with the Kings, the one area that we'll look for the Kings to really grow in, and that will be with, let's say, those two pairings and we'll see what happens with the third pair, but the penalty kill has got to improve. And I think a guy like Gavrikov will be leaned upon heavily to help in that regard. Again, a big body, long reach, 
does a great job clearing out the you know the the, the front of the net area, uh, knows when to go, very aggressive on a defensive blue line. His neutral zone stick checks leading the NHL. So those are the little things that should help that part out. And then I think with the third pairing, I think the Kings still need to you know acquire a left shot defenseman, uh, preferably one with a little bit of size. Uh, because you look at what's coming, you know, in, in for the Kings, they, you know, on the right side, obviously they've got Walker, they've got Dursey, you know, you've got uh, Spence and uh, and Clark coming. So you like to put them with a, let's say, a Gavrikov type of guy or a Mikey Anderson type of guy, a left-handed shot on that side. So if the Kings can f- get a player and doesn't necessarily have to be the same, uh, you know, high-end player like a, a, to- a top four uh, defenseman, but that style of play, uh, I think that'll help that third pair become effective as well. They'll be able to spread, spill, uh, spread the minutes out, and that'll lighten the load on those other guys. So when the critical times in the season come, those guys have a little bit more left in the tank. But the Kings are moving in the right direction. Uh, you know, uh, it'd be a big, uh, a big move for them to be able to retain Gerkoff and uh, be able to you know, set that up and then move forward from there. So over the last three years, Mikey Anderson's three full seasons as a NHL player minutes played by defense defensive pairs at even strength top of the list Brady Shea and Brett Pesci at 2,989 minutes second is Truba and Keandre Miller for the New York Rangers 2,929 minutes third Drew Doughty Mikey Anderson 2,712 minutes and in like 30 or 40 fewer games than the other two guys because both of them missed some time with injuries over the last two seasons i mean i'm gonna be a know-it-all and a say-it-all here Uh, (laughs) as soon as i started hearing drew dowdy sing the praises of mikey anderson i knew in my in my hockey heart don't break these guys up and there was a lot of conversation two years ago about okay you know bjorn foot was drafted to be dowdy's partner and dowdy loves bjorn foot and let's get somebody to play with dowdy and if they did get chikrin he'd play with dowdy and all this conversation about who's going to play with Dowdy, and I kept shaking my head, and I would save every little soundbite I got of Dowdy talking about Mikey Anderson. I've got a whole file on my folder because I was going to do an entire show devoted to how much Drew Dowdy loves Mikey Anderson. And I would just say, you guys don't get it. This is the pair moving forward, and you said yourself. Yep. It's worked in the past. It'll work in the future. Those two guys are the top pair for the LA Kings. Yeah, and there's no reason for it to change. Uh, you, know, you can kind of look at that pairing be, you know, like with Dowdy or with, you know, Mikey Anderson, it's almost like the Fiala of the defense. Like you can move those guys around. They're going to complement whoever they play and you can play them in all kinds of situations. It's not going to affect you. Uh, The versatility and, um, you know, their effectiveness is, is, I think it's it's, a lot of it's understated. Um, You know, it, uh, I think, you know, again, moving forward as the Kings continue to grow, and find the next level to you know to eventually march to becoming champions again. Those guys are going to have a big part in it, and it's going to be the stability that they provide from that position back there. Not only from their own pairs on on the ice, but the example that they'll set for the other guys that are on on the defensive pairings. And you know, when they're in practice, you know, a lot of times through the course of the year, there's only seven defensemen on the you know on the roster, and they're all playing with each other out there. And it benefits everybody. They become better players being being on the ice with those guys. You can see just how much fun that they have and the way that they're growing, the confidence that they have with the puck. 
everybody in the Kings roster now back in the blue line is comfortable with the puck. And that never would have come about had they not been given the opportunity. So the injuries a couple of years ago really did pay dividends for the Kings. It allowed them really to grow in that position. They got a better understanding of what they had in Mikey Anderson, in Sean Dersey. Uh, you know, unfortunately, Sean Walker was one of the ones that was out and had a you know very serious injury, but it allowed the other guys you know to be able to grow there. Now, as they want to go to that next step, they go out and acquire a guy like Gavrikov, and they realize what a good fit he is. So there's a lot of good things going on back on the blue line collectively as a group with the team. It's just a matter of you know fine fine tuning it all and tweaking it. Uh, but one thing that does jump out, and you know I hate to keep going back to it, the penalty kill has got to be better. And if the penalty kill is better, the Kings will put themselves in a better position. Not only during the regular season, they'll take a lot of wear and tear off their top end players at the other end. But when it comes to the postseason, if you look at that series against the Oilers, I believe it was the first four games, uh, or at least the first three for sure, uh, they were even. On, uh, and five on five, they were even with the Oilers. It was the special teams. And the Kings power play had a good series, but the penalty kill wasn't able to uh, you know, to slow down that power play of Edmonton. So uh, let's face it, it was the best power play in the league this past year. They set records. Uh, they continued to go on and do the same thing you know, in the series against Vegas, uh, very effective on the power play. So the penalty kill uh, definitely has to be addressed. And it's not an individual. It's a mindset of the team. Uh, when the Kings won their championships, that was a, a mindset of the team. It's, it's just like defending. You can have the best goaltender in the world, but all five guys and then the sixth guy, including the goaltender, everybody's got to be on the same page. You've got to jump into the shooting lanes. You've got to get pucks out. You, you know, you've got to take a hit in order to make a play, and that's, that's the next level for this team to get to. So let's use the penalty kill as a transition into talking about Drew Doughty alone because Drew Doughty might be – well, he's certainly my favorite defenseman in Kings history um, – he might be my favorite king of all time. I can't say that because Lou Robitaille will forever be my favorite. But that's called job security, right? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> well, it's a, it's a happy coincidence. But he, I mean, he's like he's incredible. Uh, you know, every, nobody needs to talk about how incredible he is. If he played for a Canadian team, he'd have a statue. He'd be in the Hall of Fame. People would talk about him the way they talk about Eric Carlson. But the penalty kill has been bad. Not just this year, it was bad last year. Last year, it could hide behind the power play, which was worse. This year, it can't hide behind the power play because the power play got quite good. Drew Doughty's the best defenseman on the LA Kings. He was part of uh, two LA Kings teams that won the Stanley Cup, primarily off of a defensive identity. How much fault for the penalty kill lies at the feet of Drew Doughty? I don't think you can blame any individual. Um, I think... It it has to start with the way that you're playing the penalty kill. And you probably want to dissect it. You want to look at it in a few different ways. Because the Kings had a period of time where they were very effective on the power play. They had stretches, but not nearly long enough stretches. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, when you get off to a bad start on the penalty kill, it's tough to play catch-up. Like when you're sitting at 50% after maybe 20 games or so, you know, you go on a good stretch and it just seems like you're never getting there and, it, and it's tough. Whereas on the other side of things, if your penalty kill can get off to a good start, it's all of a sudden it's like, hey guys, you know, that's 19 in a row. Let's not, you know, let's, let's make it 20. And you're only taking it one at a time instead of looking at the big picture. Um, I think the Kings need to be a little bit more aggressive on the penalty kill. I think they were a little bit too too passive in particular. And again, I'll use Edmonton just because of how good their power play was. 
you know, you have to you have to adjust and get right in their face. And easier said than done when you're going one on one against Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl. Uh, You know, you've got uh, you know Hyman out there. You've got Nugent Hopkins, and you've got Bouchard at the top. I mean, they had a great power play. Let's face it. But I think next year, now that they've gone through that cycle, not only the Kings but the rest of the league will adjust against that power play. And we'll see what type of numbers they put up next year. Not to say that I expect it to fall off and you know drop down to fifteen percent. That's not going to happen with that skill set. But we'll see the adjustments that are made. Uh, the Kings again. I think they need to be a little bit more aggressive on the penalty kill. Um, the faceoffs, guys that are on the penalty kill, have to make sure you're, you're winning those faceoffs because you're starting off in your own zone. You know the majority of the time. Getting the puck out on the initial attempt on the penalty kill is a huge thing, and that's not necessarily you know, you're looking for anything special. Those are just those are just the common factors. Those things, those are the little things. Get pucks out on the initial attempt, win faceoff. If the team's you know going to score, make them beat you. Don't beat yourself by sitting back and you can't screen your goaltender. You've got to give your goaltender a fighting chance to be able to get their eyes on the puck. The power plays have changed clear across the league. You see goals going in now from the base of the faceoff circle, you know, two or three feet off the boards. Real bad angle shots that we would have said, you know, the goalie should be shot at sundown if he gives up a you know goal from there. But that's not the case anymore. The way these guys move the puck around uh, from one side of the ice to the other, goaltender doesn't have to play off the dots. He's got to play off almost board to board. So there's a lot of movement out there. And this is where the players, again, take away that time and space. Everybody at this level now, the way they handle the puck, you give them that split second extra time either to get a shot off or to make a play, a lot of these guys are capable of doing that. So penalty kill has to be more aggressive um, and and get pucks out on the initial attempt. And in the face-off circle, you know, if I'm a third or fourth line centerman for this team, I'm working on my draws all summer because that could be uh, find yourself a position. If you can win draws consistently, you're going to find yourself a spot, and then the rest of your game can evolve from there. You talked about the versatility of the pair of Anderson and Dowdy. Dowdy plays the most penalty kill minutes for the Kings, but not a lo- not compared to other teams, right? Like the leading minute getters for penalty kills for for penalty kill minutes, excuse me, um, around the league. Dowdy is pretty far down the list. I've lost track of where it is, but it's you know not top ten by any stretch of the imagination. The top ten penalty killers around the league are guys who have an identity, right? Like that's sort of their job. Yep. Um, Drew Doughty also plays the most power play minutes for defensemen among the Kings. But again, I don't think he plays like an outrageous amount of power play minutes compared to his peers, uh, you know, as top defensemen around the league. So at this stage in his career, would it potentially 12th, sorry, overall in power play minutes, but like Brandon Montour in yep. Florida has 340 minutes, Quinn Hughes in Vancouver, 320, Adam Fox, 293, Drew Doughty, 253. So it's a pretty wide margin. At this point in his career, is there any benefit to pushing him towards one side or the other of saying Drew Doughty scored 60 points this year, you know, it's not a career, 50-something points, excuse me, uh, 52 points. Not a career year, but pretty close to it. His career year was 60 points in 2017-18. Does it take any stress off of him? Does it save his energy for different parts if we say, you know, okay, you know what, let's say they do get a left defenseman like the one you're talking about. If the Kings shift to a team where you say, okay, the third pair is the first pair over the boards on the penalty kill rather than the, you know, Dowdy and Anderson being the first pair over. Well, I think, you know, those numbers 
Drew's numbers, it just goes to show you how well balanced of a player he is. He's not a one-dimensional player. You know, a lot of the guys that you talk about are great offensively, uh, maybe not necessarily as good defensively, and vice versa. You know, guys are real solid. You know, maybe a guy's 6'5", long stick, you know, real physical, nasty to play against in front of the net. He's on. He's going to get a lot more penalty kill time. So I think because his minutes are as spread out as evenly as they are, it just goes to show you his value to his hockey club. And, of course, he's getting on there not only in age, but you look at the games that he's played, the wear and tear that's been on his body. And, you know, he'll never want to, you know, take a step back with regards to ice time. He wants to play in every critical situation. And that's what you have to admire by, about a guy like Drew Doughty is his compete. You know, he, he wants to be the guy. Uh, so now it's the responsibility of the, the, next, the, the next generation coming to take that away from him, you know, just like we saw with Dustin Brown, just like we, you know, like we, we've seen with, you know, with Jonathan Quick in net, uh, you know, and uh, somebody's got to come in and take the job. And those guys are more than willing to step aside when somebody comes in and, and takes the job because they know that, hey, you know, old father time is, you know, it's it's ticking all the time. And these kids, you know, the game, the you know, the speed of the game, the, the wear and tear in the body that it takes. And these guys have gone through things that some of these players will never go through and never understand what they went through. But uh, so Drew Doughty's at that stage. And, uh, you know, again, if somebody can step up and, you know, he can pull his minutes back a little bit. Uh, let's see, if you look at the big picture, you want to say, okay, maybe we're, we're going to try and play Drew Doughty 90 seconds less per game this year. Okay, well, you started off, you know, and again, that can happen in games where, let's say you're playing in a back-to-back situation, you're fortunate enough to be up, you know, three or four goals in a game, let's say in game one, you might sit there and say, okay, now, you know, you're getting, whether it's power plays or whatever, and not to say you don't want to practice or anything, but now you'll get those other guys a little bit more involved and you can kind of pull pull these minutes back a little bit. Um, but, you know, again, somebody's got to step up and take that away from him. Uh, you know, it, he's at the stage of his career where somebody needs to do that now. But, uh, you know, you just look at the numbers that he put up this year, you know, the offensive numbers, uh, you know, the, the effectiveness he had on the power plane. Again, that's because of the personnel that management is done and putting in place. They've made that part of the game easier for him that he has and doesn't have to do it necessarily as an individual. And I think that was the case a couple of more years, you know, a few years ago that, you know, Drew, knowing and taking a team upon his shoulders, you know, I've got to do more. I've got to do more. I've got to do more. Well, in reality, he can do less and achieve more with help. So I think he's getting more help, and that should that should really stretch his his game out, his career out, uh, being that he just has doesn't have to take the team on his shoulders. Uh, and the same thing you can say with Kopitar up front, you know, with getting the support that he's getting now. You know, even look at the line that was put together with Kopitar, Byfield, and uh, and Kempe. Um, you know, you wouldn't necessarily say it was the best line in the league, but look what it did for Kopitar's game. Look at the numbers he put up. Look how effective that line was, how many goals they were on the ice for, and how many goals – uh, you know, they scored themselves as a unit. So uh, there's, there's a lot to be said in the strength of the team. And uh, he will benefit. The better the team gets, Drew Doughty will benefit because he'll still going to be an elite player regardless of, you know, the amount of minutes he plays, the situation he plays, his compete, his experience. Uh, you, you're never going to take that away from him. The difference between the power play uh, last season and the power play this season has <laughs> – Forced me to re- reevaluate how confident I am in a ton of different opinions about players, about coaching, <laughs> about like how the universe works. I didn't think it was possible for the team to have a turnaround just 
I mean, the only thing that really, really changed. I mean, yes, they added Fiala, but they added Jim Hiller to the coaching staff, and that was kind of it because Fiala wasn't always on the top power play unit. He wasn't on the sec. If he was on the top power play unit, he wasn't on the second power play unit, and the second power play unit had long stretches where it was successful. So last season, uh, Drew Doughty on the power play, way fewer minutes, but um, 13 points on the power play. This season, 27 points on the power play. Uh, and yes, he played about twice as many minutes, but I mean, it just gives me <laughs> hope that that when the team focuses on the penalty kill this season as a summer project, the way Todd McClellan said it would, that we will actually see results. And, and I realize we're now talking about the penalty kill more than we're talking about True Doughty, which is <laughs> what I wanted to do here. But, but I mean, I trust that Drew Doughty will take whatever coaching comes. You know, Tom McClellan talked about cutting down Doughty's minutes and Kopitar's minutes the way you said. Maybe it's 30 seconds, 60 seconds, 90 seconds a game, whatever it is. Um, the role he plays on this team and, and on this franchise, I'm sort of forcing myself to go back and focus on Drew Doughty. Um, in this offseason, like, what do we expect to see from Drew Doughty going into training camp? this fall as far as his role within the team now that if they do bring back Gavrikov if they do bring back Kevin Fiala the more they bring in these players that play important roles I don't want to say that Kopitar and Dowdy play lesser roles but their importance shrinks right even if their role even if their impact doesn't shrink the better the team is the the importance of each individual player shrinks right I mean that's what Kopitar said about those cup winning teams if everybody's playing to their you know yep. it's just that you know that simple thing there's there's no i in team mm-hmm. you know it's it's everybody's got to contribute and their value will never be lessened they'll be contributing ways whether they're on the score sheet or not they'll be contributing so many different ways uh i think you know way the approach this year with drew dowdy is you play in the same amount that you you know that he's played last year. Okay, you can sit there and say we're going to pull it back ninety seconds or sixty seconds, and it doesn't sound like a hell of a lot, but over the course of a year, it is. But what they did with you look at Kopitar and what allowed them to be able to do that was with the personnel that they changed up front. Kopitar now doesn't have to play full two minutes on a power play. Kopitar, when Deneau came on board, doesn't have to go out and take every face off on any on every penalty kill. So how many times, you know, in previous years, we saw Kopitar jumping over the door. Every time there was a face-off, Kopitar was out on the ice. So even though his minutes remain the same, the quality of the minutes are, are not the quality, but the minutes that he's being used in are more when you can use him to his strengths where they're not taking the wear and tear. He's not having to come back into his own zone, you know, try to go to the other end because he, he wouldn't have anything left in the tank because they get hemmed in their own zone for so long. And that'll be the same to be said with Drew Doughty, that with the team being a more take charge type of team and guys like Kevin Fiala, Adrian Kempe, two great skaters, uh, you know, I don't want to take anything away from Victor Arvidsson. He's as well. He's a, he's a player that he loves to have the puck in his stick as well. These guys carry the puck up the ice. So, yeah, you're on the ice for that period of time, but you're not 
the one with the puck or winning the grind or being involved in the grind each and every second of that shift. So you're out there, you know, your mind's at work and, you know, of course you're, you're distracting the opposition because of who you are, you know, what you've done. People still respect that. You know, they, they give you the respect. These guys have earned that respect. So Drew Dowdle, you'll always have that. Uh, but the other players will take a little bit of that away from him, which will make his job uh, easier in, in ways that we really won't be able to see, but it'll make his job a lot easier. So now when it comes down to this time of the year, he's got a little bit more left in the tank to be able to sit there. And if he need, need be, he has to take a little bit more on his shoulders. He's capable of doing it. So we've talked about his versatility. We've talked about the fact that he doesn't, you know, excel necessarily at, at any one phase of the game. He's just excellent across the board. Two stats that sort of stood out to me. And you tell me if you think this is coincidence or not. Lowest total penalties of his career this season per 60 minutes played and the highest penalties drawn since 2013-14. He's got the puck more in his stick for one thing, drawing mm-hmm. the penalties. And from the not taking penalties, his team's got the puck more. So when you're in possession of the puck more, you're not looking to take penalties. You know, there's a couple of years there where, you know, Drew Doughty, you know, the opposition would be hem the Kings in their own zone. And let's face it, Drew Doughty, like anybody that's got compete in him, you're going to get frustrated out there and you start to use your stick a little bit. And that's not to say that he was playing lazy. That's just to compete in him. And you know what? He's regardless of, you know, what the score of the game is, he's not giving up on a play. He, he takes so much pride in his plus minus and so much pride in, you know, giving up a goal against that He's going to do whatever he can. And if that means, you know, tripping you taking a stick to you, you know, it's, he, he's going to do it. So uh, again, I think that's evolution in his own game. And that's one of the great things, you know, with, with maturity, is the things that you learn about yourself. And again, Kopitar is another great example of having these two guys play, you know, their entire careers here with the Kings. We've been able to see the evolution of that. You know, Kopitar, maybe earlier, take try to take the puck, go coast to coast with it. That's not the case anymore. He, you know, he defers to, you know, the speed of Kempe. Like Kopitar would be the guy in the entries going into the offensive zone. He's got Kempe. He's got Fiala. You know, he's got guys like Drew Doughty that can bring the puck up the ice. So even Drew Doughty, the, you know, earlier years, he'd be carrying the puck up the ice on a power play all the time trying to get it in there. And, you know, he'd get across the line and, you know, whether they lost it, they'd get dumped back down. He'd have to go all the way down to the other end. So a lot of energy would be used in a fashion that wasn't productive for the team. He's a lot smarter now because of the experience that he's gained, uh, the success that he's had, and uh, now he's going to share that with the you know with the young guys that are coming up. But his game will continue to be where it is. Uh, he's an elite player in the world and always will be. Still zero faceoff wins though for Drew Dowdy. So well, he's that, he's, he's he, yeah, yeah, no, it, but it's fifty uh, percent. Exactly. <laughs> Daryl Evans, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Always great catching up with you, Jess.